0: You're listening to T.I.P.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday's release of the podcast where we're talking about Bitcoin. Back by popular demand is the one and only Mr. James Lavish. James is an expert in macroeconomics with a CFA, Yale alumni, two decades of institutional investing experience and risk management. During our chat, James gets into the details why Western countries are starting to enter into a debt spiral. We talk about how central banks are likely to make adjustments to the Supplementary Leverage Ratio, or SLR, why it's important, and what it means for risk assets, bonds, and Bitcoin. We continue a discussion we had about Japan from a few quarters ago, what's in store for credit markets, and much more. This is a chat that you will not want to miss, so get ready. Here's my conversation with James.
0: you're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investor's Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm here with James Lavish. James, welcome back to the show.
2: I think this is the third time we've chatted. Awesome to have you. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you for having me again. I, I love coming on your show. I'm a huge fan and uh, always like talking to you, Preston.
1: Well, you got to see uh, a little behind the scenes where I had a technical nightmare tonight working with my new computer.
2: Oh my Lord. We got through as, it. what my wife likes to say, yeah, as my wife likes to say is tech happens. <laughs> so It's been,
1: it's been brutal for me lately trying to get this new computer up and working. But that aside, let's jump right into this. You wrote a uh, an awesome write-up about this debt spiral that's currently taking place here. And you're just talking about the US. You're not even talking about some of the other, other places in the world. You, you, all the numbers you were throwing out there was the US numbers. Walk us through yeah. the layout of all of this. Really break it down for us so yeah, it's simple to so, understand.
2: Yeah. So I absolutely i got i got to, i have to give uh, kudos to greg Foss cuz he and i were talking about it and you know he's like man you've got to you've got to write about this this is just it's a major problem i said yeah i think you're I think you're right and so i i dug in and you know the thing is we we talk about debt to gdp all the time mm-hmm. right press and, and you look at all the countries who have have debt to gdp that are over 100% we've got that chart in there in some of my recent posts and it's got that awesome uh, chart that that shows all of the um, that kind of spiral of all of the economies that are running over their debt over their gdp and mm-hmm. that's that's a good it's a kind of a good baseline uh, measure for you to get an idea of if there's a problem i mean you know we we've talked about japan we'll talk about that later but people usually think well the us is fine the us is yeah they're running their debt to gdp is over 100% and now if you look at it it's 137% And, but they've always, you know, we've been running deficits for a long time. It's not that big of a deal. But then when you stop and you think about it and you actually do the math, like it was a company, like it's a company that's operating and borrowing as it's operating, right? I mean, it's no different than, than if you were Microsoft or you were Apple and, you know, but you're, you're running your operation and you've got your expenses and you will borrow money at cheap rates in order to. Put leverage on your balance sheet to grow faster, grow quicker, you know, uh, larger. And, uh, so we can do that and we've been doing it successfully for a long time. But the problem is now we're running deficits that are so large that when you just pull out the big pieces, right? So we kind of, you kind of condense it down and isolate out the big pieces. You've got your entitlement spending. You've got your interest on your debt. And those should be less than your tax revenues, right? Your revenue coming in are the taxes off of your gross domestic product. And those are broken down into all of, all of the uh, categories. You know, you've, got your, you've got your corporate tax, your, your capital gains. You've got, you know what all the taxes are. We won't go into all of the, the, uh, the nuances there. But the bottom line is, right now, where we stand in the United States, I, I was I was going through the Congressional Budget uh, Committee and and what what they are coming up with on all of their estimates for the year 2022, right? And right now, we're they're estimating 4.8 trillion dollars of taxes. Well, when you take out 3.7 trillion dollars of entitlements, now those are in legislation; those are not flexible like that. That's got to be paid, right? Yeah. And you estimate 800 billion dollars for defense spending. Well, you're left over with 300 billion dollars for interest expense. But we're currently running interest expense at 400 billion dollars. So it doesn't take a math genius to figure out that we're running in a deficit, right? So that's first of all, that's a problem. So how do you cover that? Well, you can either raise taxes, which actually negatively impacts your GDP in the long run, right? So your productivity goes down if you raise taxes, it's just it's just natural, right? You can cut entitlements. That's not popular, especially in election year. So no politician likes to cut entitlements. No politician likes likes to cut spending. We've seen it on both sides of the aisle. It doesn't matter. And the other thing you could do is you could borrow. You could just issue more debt, which is exactly what we're doing. Right? So you issue issue more debt to cover that deficit. But you know, and I know that we've been talking about this for a long time is the problem is that you're issuing more debt into a rising interest rate environment. And so as you're borrowing, you're borrowing money that's more expensive. You're putting more debt on your balance sheet that you have to pay off with a higher interest rate. So, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of like if you take out a balance on a credit card, right? And you run up that credit card balance. For the for people who... like, This is kind of hard to get your head around, but to simplify it to the essence of it, you take out debt on a credit card, you run it all the way up. Well, the monthly payments that you have to pay after paying for your mandatory things like mortgage, car loans, food—you know—you can't meet that because your interest rate payments on your credit card, your your minimum payments are too high. So you take out another credit card to cover some of the expenses, whether it's the food or the other interest, uh, the interest expense on your credit card. Then you're taking out more debt, but the thing is, when you do that, your interest rate is going to go up because your credit is. Is going down. Your yeah, yeah. It's your credit is getting worse, so it's more expensive for you to borrow, right? So as you do that, then you get into a situation where okay, now you've maxed out another credit card. You're still not meeting your obligations, and now when you go out to take out another credit, the, the credit card, the interest rate is even higher. So you get into this trap. You're just complete. You're trapped. You can't get out of it. The interest rates are going up on your credit, on your credit card borrowing. Your monthly Earnings are not meeting that. Like they're not keeping up. Right. And so that's in essence for an individual that would be a debt spiral. And we see it happen all the time in the United States. You know, we're a completely indebted country. So, but it's exactly what's happening in the US. So at, at
1: a government if you level. Look,
2: yeah. At a government level. So exactly. Thank you. So if you look at where we are now and then you tack on the fact that interest rates are going up. Let's just say, and you can look across the yield curve right now, and everything's right about 3%, right? So if the government's going to issue debt, it's going to be at about 3%. Let's just say it's at 3.2% to make the the numbers kind of round here. And if you you use 3.2% on the $30 trillion of debt that we have currently, and we have to replace that over the next number of years, that's a trillion dollars of interest expense. That's six hundred trillion dollars more than we currently have at four hundred billion. Six hundred billion dollars more than, than we have at our current rate of four hundred billion dollars.
1: Yeah, it, it's the the number goes up so aggressively with just even the slightest change in interest rate.
2: Exactly.
1: That exactly. I just don't think people understand that we're not dealing with a linear type situation mm-hmm. right now. And
2: uh, we're not we're yeah, exactly. And that's and that's the problem. So we're we're watching the Fed kind of squirm. And they know that they can't raise rates too high. So they what they're they've been trying to do is raise them quickly without breaking the markets. That's just one part of it. But as our markets go lower, their tax revenues are going lower, right? The government's tax revenues are going lower. So you have lower capital gains taxes. Right as the, as the interest rates go up, it squeezes margins for companies. So their corporate tax rates are going down, individual tax rates are going down as we enter a recession. And so now you've got a situation that your interest payments are going up, and your tax revenues are going down, and it's just a spiral. There's no spiral. there's no way out of it. So I want to quantify like I don't think. That we're in a situation, Preston, where the world is ending for the United States or the US dollar tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if you look out, there's just no way out of this trap. There's no way that they can fix the problem. So what are their what are their solutions, right? And and by the way, this is before investors around the world demanding higher rates for the increased default risk right and i mm-hmm. don't know when that happens mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so but you, you you know we're we're in a situation now where the demand for us treasuries is is lower right mm-hmm. Glo- the global energy crisis is is causing it's causing countries to sell us treasuries to raise dollars to pay for more oil right because they don't mm-hmm. they don't want to the last thing they want to do is have their currency being sold like mm-hmm. and we can go right into japan off of this but the issue is, how do they bring all those U.S. treasuries to the market in order to pay for this deficit? And so the piece that you had said you know you and I were talking about earlier about Luke Groman's uh, newsletter, and he's a brilliant observation. And that is that the debt markets are they're kind of mirroring where we were in 2019, mm-hmm. and how the U.S. Treasury right so the, exactly what we're talking about here. Right, we know that they have to. They have to. It was Sell more Treasuries. It's it's everything
1: right? minus the rising interest rate environment. Right, and it was bad back then, and now it's like insane. Yeah. <laughs> Go insane. ahead. I'm sorry. I kind right. of stepped
2: in. But. No, it's exactly right. So you know, back in in 2019 when they where they raised. Okay, so right now we've just gotten word that the Treasury is is raising the the quarter the third quarter borrowing estimates by two hundred and sixty two billion dollars. Remember what I just said, right? So they're raising it by two hundred sixty two billion dollars. Why? Because a of drop off in tax receipts and expectation that tax receipts are going lower. Of course, we just you know we just discussed that and increased spending, more entitlements. You know, I don't know where, what. You know we've got a lot of spending it, it's a, it's a gargantuan engine up there in dc god help anybody who can figure out where all the money's going but so now you're talking about the new estimate is 444 billion dollars of treasury issuance versus 182 billion dollars well who's going to buy those yeah and that's the problem is it mirrors the 2019 situation where they did the same thing and they raised it by about the same amount and their total was 433 billion and what happened the repo market locked up interest yeah. rates went the, the, the repo rate went through the roof and so the fed had to step in and save the market right so what do they do so this time the feds tried to decrease its balance sheet at the same time so they're trying to sell treasuries themselves on top of this it, through quantitative tightening right You and I have talked about we we we've posted back and forth on Twitter a number of times. Hey, look at how fast the balance sheet is coming down! Ha ha! It's not moving. Yeah. Why? They know they can't send more treasuries into the market, knowing that they're in this situation where tax receipts are going down, entitlement costs are going up, and there's no buyers. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, we've had we've had countries around the world, China and, and Russia, scrambling to get all their treasuries off their balance sheet. So what can they do
1: this was a quote yeah, from go. from Luke's article just so people can hear real simply the way Luke described it in his write up he said the fed is attempting to shrink its balance sheet into a toxic combination of a sharp rise in the third quarter us treasury issuance insufficient foreign us demand and a weakening a weakening uh, global economy but this time with a kicker of an ec- existential global energy crisis to boot. And some of the numbers that you were quoting there James on 1 August the US Treasury increased its quarterly borrowing estimates by a whopping 143% to 444 billion from 182 billion which is what they were expecting. And then uh this was an interesting quote he also had in there he said Jamie Diamond in the fourth on I'm sorry August 14th said that he estimates a 90% chance the US economy goes into a recession or worse. And the or worse part made me laugh because it reminded me of when I was a kid watching the old Batman uh, TV show when Robin said to Batman, he said, (laughs) Batman, we could have been killed or
2: worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or Hermione. Yeah, we could have been killed, could, or, or worse, <laughs> or worse, expelled. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's it's just it's yeah. I mean, we're la- you know we're sitting here laughing about it, and it's it's not funny. What, what not else funny. can you do? It's it's, it's nuts. A, it's, it's so it's ridiculous that we're in this situation, right? Okay, so what can they do? Well we know that you know we again we've been laughing about the Fed going up to Jackson Hole this week to have their you know their annual meeting. I mean the 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 awareness there the the social awareness there is just at I mean rock bottom, right? To go to I love Jackson Hole, it's beautiful. I don't know. Is the government oh, yeah, the, so, yeah out there? Yeah, it's wild while we're like we're in this major problem and anyway, so the world's on fire, everything's fine. But so we're talking about what what can what can Powell do? Well, we, you know, we've watched the markets kind of fluctuate pretty dramatically around his comments and the other Fed governors' comments. And so he's walking this really thin line, right? So he doesn't want to break the markets, but he's got to get inflation down. But he knows that he can't raise rates too high because he could break the bond market. And he knows that the treasury is over there on the other side and they're supposed to be separate, right? So I wrote a, a piece about this in in another newsletter about the Fed and how it's supposed to be separate. Of course, it's super political. I mean, it's obvious, but they're supposed to operate separately. Well, the Treasury's over here, and they have a they have a balance sheet issue in in that, or they have they have a um, a revenue, and expense issue that the Fed is now going to exacerbate by raising interest rates. So they know that. So what can they do? Well, they can run. They can they can let inflation run hot. And so we've been talking about this, and Greg and I've been talking about for a while. Is about Greg Foss. Sorry, is um, you know, they're going to quietly. I think they're going to quietly raise the 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 inflation target from two percent to like three or maybe even four. And they're just going to let it run a little bit hotter. And it allows them then to you know monetize the debt. It allows them to pay down the debt with cheaper dollars, in, you know, in the future, and so that's one thing they can do. I don't know how long they can do because we said it again. As soon as they pivot, and we're talking about QE infinity, right? So the, I don't think they're going to pivot before the the economy kind of breaks. I don't think that, and this is my personal opinion. I don't. Yeah, know. I agree with you, but I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that Powell is going to pivot until it's absolutely abundantly clear that inflation's coming down. Well, you know, the indicators are there, but employment's still high, CPI's still high. And so, you know, as long as this, um, the employment is, he, he, they've got the dual mandate, as long as we're, it's kind of at full employment, they've got to get inflation down. Well, he's going to continue raising rates until the employment number moves, right? So unfortunately, as we've seen and we've seen evidence of employment often is the last indication of a recession. Employment, the employment number comes down after the recession already hits, right? So that's an issue. So what else can they do? They can, they can let it run hot, but we get into the same problem. CPI goes through the roof. Asset prices, you know, just soar and it, whoever's closest to the spigot gets benefit of the dollar printing the Cantillon effect and then you're back to where we were in february in january right but even worse so there's another thing they can do which i haven't seen many people talk about yet i've heard lynn say something about it before lynn alden say something about it um slr i can't remember when what yeah so exactly yeah so and if they if they change the reserve requirements or they just let tell people banks-
1: so the, the SLR is the supplementary uh, leverage ratio, and this is mm-hmm. uh, how much treasuries the the bank is allowed to hold on their books. Yeah, right. Like yeah. The, that amount for how and much it, they have lent yeah. out. Yeah,
2: and they' and. It, Exactly, it, can, it, can, it comes out of the uh, you know it comes out of the the financial great financial crisis and, and the new leverage ratio laws and what banks can hold. But what they could do is just and that's exactly right. See, perfect. Keep it simple. And so, but what they could do is they could either change that ratio or just say, well, you don't need to have a ratio at all in this environment because it's so important. As the repo market starts to break, we're going to need you to come in and buy these treasuries. Okay, so I mean, you, we know there's a two trillion dollars plus of cash out there that we've got reverse repoed, you know, constantly. Well, that cash could go buy those treasuries. The treasuries go on the the bank's balance sheets, and what is that? That's essentially a form, a sneaky form of additional QE, QE. right? Yeah. I mean, right. So I mean, it's money that the that was printed <laughs> in last in the last two years. That they're using to buy the debt to monetize the debt. I mean, it's it's kind of. No. Then where if, do we go from there? If, the, right? if they so do that,
1: are the yields going to start getting uh, suppressed from reality? Like the, the reality of going higher? Are we absolutely? Are we, yeah. We're yeah. yeah to no, hold it's the rates it's down. a.
2: It's a. Yeah. It's a form of yield curve control. Absolutely. It's yeah. a form. It's a form of yield curve control. So let's talk about that. So we've seen. I mean, look. I don't know when this happens but i do know that there's decreased you can see it there's there's decreased demand for us treasuries and at some point you're going to you're going to hear about the the overnight the repo market breaking and just like it was in 2019 i think i i think that luke is 100% correct um, and he thinks you know. it happens soon like in yeah. his newsletter he thinks he thinks it, it's imminent yeah yeah like yeah. weeks yeah, I mean, he's he's right that the Fed should be pausing at least by by now, but I don't think they're going to. They're gonna they're gonna raise rates again, fifty basis points in September, and then I think they're gonna raise them again unless something happens, something changes. They'll raise them again in November and December, and then so, pause.
1: So this was uh, something that was tweeted out tonight. I know it's by Zero Hedge, but this is this is what they said. Hmm. Kashkari, who's the Fed official. Says very clear, Fed needs to tighten monetary policy. And then this is their snarky uh, reply to his comment. It said, "Translation: Very clear. Only way to fix collapse in commodity supply is with millions of unemployed workers." And so, I find their reply to be very. I know they're joking, but they're they're serious at the same time. Is like, hey, so we keep tightening we get we already have like severe disruptions in commodity supply chains and so now we're going to like get a whole bunch of people laid off to only make that worse and only make these desirable yeah. goods and services continue to go through the roof because people are now getting laid off like at what point does the playbook from the last 40 years are we at the point now where that playbook is you got to literally throw it out
2: scrap it yeah, I mean, like, we're, we're, like, remember the leverage where we are in right now. I mean, yeah. we ne- we've never gone through a recession like this where we have debt to GDP far above. I mean, we're above 100%. We're at 137%. Is that? We're not making, a, we're not making enough money to pay for it. Like, we're just, just the interest we're, we're Yeah. We're, we're trapped. We're trapped. And it's just a question of how long we can play the charade. I think that Russia is kind of calling us out on it. Oh yeah, I like, think their have, whole move was that, wasn't you know, it? Like, the- yeah, they're just like, look, you, you, it's fake money, it's mo- monopoly money. Everybody, wake up! It's monopoly money. And then when we pulled, we, we, we pull them off a of swift, and we seized treasuries. Like that's just it insane. I mean, I think it's insane. I think it was, it was a, it was a, a fumble, you know, and oops, and everybody's looking around saying, you know, India, China, like they're looking around saying, well, they, you know. We can't trust that these that that the treasuries we own are they going to make good on them. That's insane. If we want treasuries to be the, the reserve asset of the world, well, we should honor them, right? So I mean it's J- yeah. James, I would say I mean I'm not saying I am getting get forget about ethics of, of war or anything like that. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Focus just, on, just I the mean, math. you know the math. the math. Just the math.
3: Yeah. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a data-driven booking platform and around-the-clock support, homeowners earn on average 20% or more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa makes vacation home ownership easy. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home by doing less, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com. That's vacasa.com to get started on your dream of owning a vacation home. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. Yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Um, when I'm looking at like
1: how bad, and, and what we were describing was all US-based uh, math, <laughs> <laughs> when I look at the European situation,
2: 11th grade, 11th grade.
1: Math. 11th grade math, yeah, thank you. When I look at the European situation, it seems way more dire, way more insane, way more difficult from just like what is the incentive structure? Who is a net exporter? Is, is there any even any left in Europe? Cuz it used to be Germany and now no they're not even yeah. net
2: exporters. Germany was it right? Yeah,
1: and so um, I mean, then and they're like in a real like make or break energy right. crisis.
2: I mean, look at this they're they're in a real they're in a, they're in a major problem, right? So you just saw the 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 French energy costs that I sent out that uh, I re reposted a chart about the the French energy prices. That are, I mean, the amount that the the prices are up in everywhere it's. Everywhere in Europe, they're just soaring. Well, they don't have capacity, right? So they don't they don't have capacity. So how do they get capacity online? Well, they just took they took three nuclear generators offline in Germany, right? And they were supposed to decommission six. Well, they've decided that okay, well, we'll we won't we won't decommission the last three. I mean, oh, I thought okay, they were going to do so, that
1: after December.
2: Yeah, they're, they're going to keep it through December at least to, you know, to get their, their people through the winter. Although to me, I think winter goes through March-ish, <laughs> right? I, mean, I don't know. I, was, I don't know who's in charge up there. But, you know, and then you've got... But just talking about the money situation out there, though. I mean, they've had free money for 11 years. In fact, they're paying you to take the money, right? Not really because you can't get negative interest rates from a, from a, a bank. But they they had negative... They had a negative key target rate right the the key interest rate the ecb held it below zero for 11 years they finally raised rates in july just a few weeks ago finally after they've had record inflation for months and it's now at zero percent so talk about a talk about a, a union that has no they have no room they have no room none so as soon as they started talking about raising the rates you and i talked about how italy the italian bond market started to break and so they you know lagarde came out and said oh wait 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 don't worry we're going to be there we've got this anti fragmentation tool it's yield curve control but it's it's deliberate yield curve control that picks out specific country bonds at specific maturity and specific uh denomination so you've got like they may pick out the two years they're saying the 10-year we're going to defend the 10-year don't worry about it. and the 10-year came down i don't know i mean if i'm an institutional investor i don't i don't particularly want to own those bonds because the market the free market is telling you that they should be trading at a certain price but now the ecb is coming in and essentially using the stronger country's balance sheets to monetize their debt to monetize Italy's debt and Greece's debt right so now you've got germany who's taking on the debt of these these nations that are not operating at an efficient level they're you know they should be by all means they should be defaulting on their debt at you know in at some rate here and so how long can that last i mean you've studied you tell me how long do you think it could last
1: well, I would have told you it, it couldn't have lasted this long, you know. So I'm obviously, I guess, when I'm looking at the whole situation, like where the hell was academia for the last decade in this situation where you were running negative rates, and instead of instead of them speaking up and you know sounding the alarms and being the canaries in the coal mine. They were literally out writing books about MMT and how this MT, is normal and experiment. how and yeah. how it needs to be more negative, and so it's just like what what's their incentive structure, right? And then you, I mean, you pull back and they're being funded to write this crap,
2: right? Well, By we, the same people live. that are causing it all, right? So I mean, you could make the argument that we couldn't have made the 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 productivity gains that we have without running deficits and debt i mean you could make no that i argument, totally agree now, with that yeah you know but now we're we're addicted i mean there's no way off that we're yeah there's no way off of that um that addiction like you, you everybody needs debt everybody's borrowing you know yeah.
1: every um, everything everything has turned into a everything. zombie from everything from the individuals <laughs> to the companies to the government <laughs> <Exactly. laughs>
2: and now and here's the problem right so you had individuals and companies that were zombies that back in the great financial crisis yeah well we we kicked we kicked the individual problems up to up to the banks and straight up to the government well who, where are we going to kick it now yeah. so you you know you've there's nowhere to there's nowhere to kick the problem any further that's it we we're kind of at the end of the line so the question isn't whether sovereigns start to fail the question is which ones start failing first first and you know emerging markets their their balance sheets are not as strong and they're they're going to their currencies are not as strong they don't you know it, we're seeing the US dollar soar here because people are they' they're taking risk off and they're they're looking for safety, right? So you're going to have smaller nations that fail. They're, the, the currencies are going to fail, they're going to go into hyperinflation and you know they're going to have to reset and the question is which G20 goes first is it do you think
1: do you think we see that in the coming 12 months that we see a G20 go in the in the coming 12 months
2: well I mean I could get to I could get to a place where the e the EU has no choice but to talk about breaking up within 12 months I mean it's possible I mean this energy crisis if it worsens it's possible yeah I don't predict that I can get there, you know, but no, I don't think that I do we see emerging markets fail in the next 12 months? It's very possible. A D20, I don't I don't know. They seems the thing so long. These big right? but, but once they
1: start unraveling, they happen, I think faster than everybody thinks it could happen.
2: I agree. Right? Just and like any
1: type of liquidation event. Like everyone the, the I thing agree. people all say is it happened so fast. It happened like yeah. In the blink of an eye and i think yeah. this situation that's brewing i don't think people have an appreciation for how insanely fast this could rickish like ripple throughout every country because I mean, everything's intertwined
2: right everything the us dollar will soar yeah the us dollar will swallow everything the milkshake theory right mm-hmm. and i can see countries collapsing within you know absolutely in the next three to five years. I can see that happening. Well, how does that happen? Well, because we go through the one more cycle like this, right? And it seems like the cycles are getting shorter and shorter, shorter, tighter and more pronounced, yeah. Shorter, shorter, tighter, more pronounced, right? And so, I could see that happening where we go through this QE, like we, we have a recession, hopefully not a depression, but we have a recession. And then we have our pivot. We start we go through QE again, you know, stop the QT, put bonds on balance sheets, whether it's the Fed or we we change the reserve requirements and then we start giving out entitlements. Like we, we subsidize and we we get we send out more checks and that really causes inflation. And then the inflation runs so hot again that you've got to tighten again. But you raise those interest rates, you put more debt on the balance sheet. We're in the debt spiral, right? We're already in it. You put more debt on the bank's balance sheets, you borrow more as the US government, your tax receipts are going down again as you raise rates, yet your interest expense is going up and it goes it it just goes in a stair step and i could see it in the next maybe two cycles where it breaks a number of g20 i don't
1: know how you could possibly get when i when i look at the streets of philadelphia san francisco new york you name it right name your city right mm-hmm. how in the world could we possibly go another two cycles at this point Without there just oh, being
2: absolute riot, there you go, and that's the problem. The problem is that the separation of wealth is just being more and more pronounced. It's getting more pronounced with every single cycle, you know, um, and that's that's the issue. So when you've got Fed governors out there saying, "Why well, don't see uh, I don't see a recession? I, I don't feel anything," well, when you make, you know, eight thousand dollars a week whatever it is, you know, like yeah. between their speaking engagements or whatever. I mean, of course you're not going to feel it. Come on, give me a break. You're you're going to Jackson hole to talk about all the problems, you know, I the mean, the like, stream
1: was delayed. We're <laughs> right, not, we're not exactly. leaving until
2: 10. <laughs> we couldn't get gas. So we couldn't get jet fuel. So I'm just, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, cr- it's, uh,
1: it's insane. Let's right? let's pivot to uh, let's pivot to Bitcoin. So Eddie, yeah. uh, I don't know if you know Eddie, but he posts some awesome questions online. He had a question for you. What is the most important change institutional investors are waiting for before changing mandates to include the direct BTC exposure?
2: I think they want clarity around regulations you know they want regulatory clarity who's how is it going to be treated um and uh well, you saw gary's you know. write-up this week right i haven't seen it yet no you didn't see
1: me. his write-up in the wall street mm, journal no, no, he's basically no. like hey uh you know all these borrowing and lending platforms were doing illegal things and oh yeah and this article was proof that they were because we we just said that they were so have at it <laughs> that's basically the <laughs> Yeah. Did he lump in Bitcoin with it? That was my uh, 10 second summary. eight
2: just any any basically said
1: yeah. that uh yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's Bitcoin or any other token like because these borrowing and lending platforms are out there doing these these things, these security like things that um mm-hmm. there should have been disclosures by them to the
2: public and so the public has has damages. Regulation, regulation yeah. they want to oversight, 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 oversight. Yeah. And yeah. so I think uh, there's a line there, though, how much oversight versus the, the strength of, of Bitcoin, you know, being hard money. When institutional investors get both clarity around regulation and their knowledge base rises and they understand Bitcoin as a completely separate asset than an Ethereum, than a Cardano or Solana or whatever. When they can see how how it's unique and this has to do with educating the you know all of the investment managers that are going to be making these decisions i can tell you right now preston there's a lot of ignorant managers out there who who have no idea the difference between bitcoin and ethereum none yeah Yeah. and it's not that they're dumb they're not i know very smart people who have no idea what the difference is and why they should be buying Bitcoin and, and treating it as a separate asset class, and the part of the reason is, well, they don't need to know. They've done very well in this current system that they're that that they've been thriving in for decades. Yeah. They don't need to know what what you know what hard money is. They have manipulated money, and that's treated them very well. The fiat system has treated them very well. So that's number one, and then just. The institutional money managers themselves have a lot of hurdles to get through, and we've talked about this uh, before, and it, it doesn't get on their balance sheets quickly, it takes a long time. So you've got to get enough of them to get comfort around regulation and whether or not it's going to be, number one, and if it's not going to be the comfort around that, understanding it and then get through all of their processes and operational and legal. Settlement, um, you know, custody processes that they have to iron out at each of those institutions in order to own it as a separate asset class, and that's going to take time. But do having, th- do you
1: think pain is the instructor for them to try to understand it? And, and when I say pain, yeah. I mean all these supply chains are breaking down, our prices are blowing out. Like, well, how does this possibly solve itself? I think- when I look at the Fed, they're going to keep printing more. They're doing QE. Does that? does all of that force them to try to
2: understand what this is it could but you've got all of this noise out there around yeah. proof of work versus you know proof of stake right so and the and the amount of energy that bitcoin uses to you know be mined and that's and there's going to be i think there's going to be a lot of noise about that over the next year or two and that's just unfortunately that's been a headwind and it's going to increase. And I have no idea what's going to happen with uh, Ethereum in a few weeks. I have no clue if it's going to work or not going to work or what, what's hey, going to happen. It
1: sounds like it sounds like you uh, know the same as the developers.
2: <laughs> right? Did you hear that conversation? Insane. Crazy. Crazy. Insane. Yeah. yeah, I think you said well, that to me. It's, in cra- it's well, insane. Well, let me so, ask you yeah. this then,
1: James, on the, on the energy side. So, you know, I was talking with Parker and Will Cole last week, and they're telling I mean they were down in Houston and and I asked them is it inevitable that you're going to see this merging of infrastructure between the the miners and large cap energy companies and they both looked at me and they're like yeah like that's happening no brainer it's a no brainer yeah, so so do the apples of the world who are not in that particular space that might be looking at this and saying well I don't know which one of these things are going to win I just know that we've got issues and they're not getting resolved When they look over at an ExxonMobil or a Shell, who I think is Shell sponsoring the Bitcoin uh, 2023 event? Is it really? Uh, I think one of the, it's either ExxonMobil or Shell or like one of these large cap energy Mm -hmm. companies is sponsoring the, the next Bitcoin conference down in Miami. And that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And deal. so, i th- I think you're going to uh, all these narratives around energy and how corrosive proof of work is to energy. I think you're going to, I think these energy companies are like, cool story, bro. But we just, you know, doubled our bottom line or whatever, and uh, we're actually having a favorable environmental impact by actually storing all this energy that we'd be mm-hmm. just, you know pissing over the dam or
2: uh right. you know not capturing right. too. exactly just like it, it, yeah just you're, you're just flaring gas I mean it's just yeah it's, it's crazy it's a massive amount of waste right so you know it's, it's funny you bring that up because I was thinking about that in the Bitcoin conference this year and how much fun I mean and that, that was my first conference I had never I had never been to the Bitcoin conference before in Miami. I thought how much fun it was to be around all these people who are super passionate about this emerging technology, but it's really you know, it's really a, a global money saving discovery, right? Yeah. So and the the energy around there is just incredible. I was looking around, I was thinking, well, what's it gonna be like when you've got Goldman Sachs here and Credit Suisse? Well, maybe not Credit Swiss anymore, but you know, uh, JP Morgan and like you said, Exxon and shell and all these major companies and apple and everybody's there and you know apple's in there talking about lightning and you know exxon's talking about uh mining it's gonna be time for us to find a different woman right (laughs) and (laughs) go it's gonna be boring right it's gonna be boring but i can tell you this that's that's where it's going because once it gets institutionally adopted they're going to be all over that Mm -hmm. space and that's when you know it's just the momentum is just too great, and I think yeah. that we're already at. So to answer your question succinctly, I truly believe, Preston, that we that momentum is just too great to stop. The problems are just too great to solve, and that that merging mm-hmm. is what absolutely makes Bitcoin win. Yeah. And it's not. It's not about. It, it, it's not even that we're going to have a fight. And we've got to make sure that we clarify it. But I think that that is just about the, the length of time it takes to get there versus the whether or not it does.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in over 20 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines.
0: If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of The Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. An iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joint's range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of the joint chiropractic find out more today call 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com call right now 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com
3: looking to part ways with complicated expensive and uncertain shipping Simple, affordable, reliable. All right, back to the show. Yeah, is it does it happen quickly
1: because people come to their senses and realize, oh, the solution is literally smacking me in the face, or do they battle it and fight it and you know end up losing anyway in the long run? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's coming. I just think that the moment momentum's already there. We've seen Fidelity, BlackRock, you know, JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon's talking about it you know they have they have experts on their desks that are that are working on this and creating uh, the ability for their high net worth portfolios to own it i mean the momentum is there it's not going away so yeah,
1: yeah, they're, working yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> they're
2: working on
1: the merch. got it hey <laughs> <Don Elvis. laughs> there's a couple of cheap shots here um <laughs> So I think we already covered this earlier when when we were talking about the debt spiral, but I just want to uh, highlight this question, because this is something that I think a lot of people have this question online. Mm -hmm. And Lynn has done an outstanding job explaining why we haven't seen inflation actually materialize after 2008 when we were doing QE. And in her article, in a couple different articles that, that she's highlighted, she's saying, hey, it really needs to be the Fed and the treasury acting together, monetizing the debt and doing QE simultaneously for it to actually start spilling over into what you know, everybody would see when they're checking out at the grocery store to see inflation actually making its way to the consumer. And so mm-hmm. this is the question that the person posed. They said, what changed in 2020 that wasn't happening from 2008 to 2020 that got the treasury also working with the fed to cause this debasement and these inflationary prints to
2: start manifesting themselves? I think mean, the simplest thing is we just sent checks directly to consumers, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, I mean, we sent trillions of dollars into people's bank accounts. So it immediately caused a demand for goods, number one. Number two, our supply chains were broken. We were in lockdowns everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, things weren't being made. They weren't being shipped. Mm-hmm. Uh, you couldn't find certain things. You know, I mean, the used car market—like, you would have done better if you had a used car than you know, if then I think if you had bought silver at that point. You know, I mean, like, yeah. So they're just were there. I think that just that just that combination. Has that, that has been a major driver where you just saw it immediately. And then it just got exacerbated with the energy crisis. You know, the fact that we don't have an, enough refineries to keep up with demand here in America. I mean, we, we could be energy independent without, you know, a blink, obviously. But right now, we don't, the refineries get to capacity pretty quickly. So we're just, we're draining. Our our emergency reserves, right? Our special reserves. So there are a lot of different. So and and I just I just think that that exacerbated the issue.
1: So let me ask this uh, because it kind of piggybacks on that. And so, is your opinion that a lot of this disruption and a lot of this inflation is hanging around because of those factors? But moving from time now forward because we're now in the in this debt spiral and they have to monetize the debt because you're in this spiral type situation that the interest expense is now exceeding what we can Absolutely. actually handle.
2: Absolutely. It's pure okay. math, right? It's pure math. And so inflation, what people have to understand is, and I was talking to my, to my wife about it, and she's like, well, when do you think the prices will come down for some of these goods that we've seen just rise so exponentially? I'm like, they're not.
1: That's when you gave They're her the, just gonna, you gave her the Anakin Skywalker uh you know, smirk to Natalie Portman, right?
2: Right. <laughs> like she's she's super smart. They're not, you know. But people, it's really hard to get your head around the prices of of things now. Like just anything. Name anything. Yeah. It's really hard to get your head around the prices. And so people are like, Well, when are we gonna see these prices come down? It's like, well, we're not. You know, you're just gonna see them go up a little bit slower, you know. So yeah, I think it's it's sticky, and it's because of all the underlying issues that you laid out. No question. Yeah,
1: because we didn't have we didn't have this uh, debt spiral scenario prior to 2020. Like it was getting bad; you could see it moving in that yeah. direction. But now but it's, that's when
2: it got out of control. Yeah, but that was kind it, of the tip off.
1: That yeah, but now it's yeah, it's just pure eleventh grade math, as yeah. Greg would say. That's right. What's caused the Japanese uh, credit markets to kind of calm down a little bit from the last time we talked? Because I remember we threw up a chart and we were looking at the volatility across the whole duration of their curve, and it was looking like somebody was trying to blow through the yield curve control. And it looks like whoever that was or whatever was causing that has kind of calmed. yeah. Yeah, has backed off.
2: Yeah, those are huge hedge fund trades, right? Where they were selling JGBs and you know, so what they're trying to do is take the, the uh, opposite position, right? So there are like short swap positions by, by hedge funds as they go the short JGBs and long yen, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is a counterforce to, you know, um, what Japan is trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Bank of Japan. Well, then when it looked like the Fed was already becoming dovish and they're gonna pivot. This is one of the I, I I believe that that Japan is they're playing a game of chicken with the Fed, right? They're 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 hoping that the Fed blinks before they do and they pause. Right. So it's just it's as simple as search for yield is a major driver of currencies, right? So when you are when you own a 10-year treasury in Japan and to to catch your listeners up for those who hadn't heard this before J- the bank of Japan has instituted what they call yield curve control where they are buying every single 10-year treasury to keep the interest rate at 25 basis points 0.25%. so they'll buy they'll buy endless treasuries to do that. Well, they've proven that, as now the Bank of Japan owns more than fifty percent of all outstanding Japanese government debt, which is just insane. But they this is what they're doing. And that reverse trade of the the, the hedge funds were betting that they wouldn't be able to they wouldn't be able to hold on, right? My guess. Um, And I don't, I haven't done scientific work on this, but it just points to this is that the traders, those same traders saw, they saw Powell come out a few weeks ago and sound kind of dovish that meeting. And they thought the (laughs) Fed's going to blink first. And so they unwound a lot of those trades and the pressure came off. Mm -hmm. But you saw in the last few days, you saw the yen. Yes, spike I seen this lower again to one uh, to just under 140, and so you know we talked about the fact that for your listeners, if investors want to sell Japanese bonds and there's yield curve control there, so they sell the bonds to the government, and the government's standing there in the open market buying them, right? So then they get yen for those bonds. Well, they're they're in search of yield. And the best yield in the world right now for the major major countries uh, and the major currencies is the US dollar, is the US treasury, and we're at 3%. So they can instead of getting 0.25% for the Japanese yield, they can take those yen, sell them, and buy US dollars to get the 10-year treasury at 3% instead of getting 0.25%. Now, there ha- if they want to hedge out the currency, they're going to have to make a currency bet or they'll hedge out the currency, and that's actually been a driver, negative driver for U.S. Treasuries recently. Yeah, but, yeah. but the long and short of it is that's kind of the pressure, and that's
1: so, so James. Right? After you hedge out that currency risk, you have to make up the three point five percent, which I'm I think is what makes that so hard to do, and why you're not necessarily exactly. seeing it happen. Yeah.
2: Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So there's got to be a release valve somewhere. So that's what's happening, yeah. and it's gone. It it's back to where it was a few weeks ago, where, you know, there's pressure on the yen and there's pressure on those, on those treasuries. Yeah. So, and if the, if the Bank of Japan stands there and buys the treasuries, well, the release valve is the yen, period. That's it. Simple as that.
1: This was, this was an interesting question, and this relates to what we're talking about there. Uh, Dr. Anton, help explain why advanced economies can't get away, and he used it in that, in quotations, get away. With doing what Japan does at least for a few more years, with the low inflation, yield curve control, and big debt to GDP ratio, how, how are they able to do what they're doing over there, but no one else can get away with it?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and you know, I think it, it has to do with the fact that Japan, you know, they they run, um, they they're actually uh, a net Exporters. exporter, yep. yeah, and and the U.S. is a net importer. You know, I mean most economies are, right? Yeah. Um, and so most of the major ones. So the question is like we can't get away with it because we don't have the same we don't have that same surplus trade balance surplus in order to do, you know, and so it just it just won't work. And they've had they've had low interest rates for so long. And you know, uh, their current account surplus is what I'm trying to say. I'm kind of fumbling around with my words here because we took so long to get up and running here, <laughs> Preston. Sorry.
3: I look at it almost yeah. like
1: a company with like retained earnings. Is the company making money or is it not making money uh, from like a it, country kind of level? Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. So
2: they've got. Yeah. 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 And and you know the in the international investments in there in it's a net positive mm-hmm. as and they've got. Low wealth concentration, you know. Actually, uh, these are points that that uh, that Lynn made. You know, she mm-hmm. she uh, she actually, I read something from a long time ago. Um, it feels like a long time ago. Might have been last week, but but you know, she basically said, "U.S. is in the exact opposite." Mm-hmm. Lynn Alden, for your listeners, sorry, the U.S. is in the exact opposite position. You know, they've got a current account deficit. They have that's getting you know, wider. They, they, yeah, their, their international investment position is negative and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's far more negative. And we have a super high you know concentration of wealth in this country. And then the other thing is that Japan was doing it during a period that we were having you know, global deflation up until now. So I don't know what's going to happen with them now. I think they're in it, they have a problem, but that's why the US can't get away with it. It just doesn't work. It's just not going to work.
1: So last question I got for you, James, you have a awesome thread where you lay out 25 years in finance, what you learned, your top five things. They were, and I'm going to read these off quickly. Don't be the oh, smartest guy in the room. Fortunes are made in fear. Don't get killed. Eat what you kill and banks work for us. Talk to us about your favorite one of those five uh, and maybe give us a story or or
2: something to kind of uh, uh, good, leave folks with. That's a That's a good question. You know, uh, let's see my that thread. That's funny. Uh, I wrote that. You know, I think that's one of the that's the first thread I ever wrote. Um, Oh no way! I I love it. It's it's an awesome thread. (laughs) Thank you. I think the the one that I that I come back to, I keep coming back to, especially with Bitcoin, is you eat what you kill. But really, the underlying thing with that one is your conviction in a long term investment. Mm. As an investor, you know, all the other things that are in there, are kind of like risk measures and, you know, or using the, the leverage for your balance sheet intelligently, but having a conviction, some people, they get tied up with the emotion of something. And people are really emotional about Bitcoin. Uh, I've seen this in some pretty amazing and pretty negative ways. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they get so confident that they'll take leverage take out leverage on it and use bitcoin as a collateral it's a volatile asset taking out leverage on a volatile asset to you know margin their trade and then they just get wiped out you see that okay so having conviction really for me has to do with a long term investment like you know you you look at it and you've got probability analysis on it and you're looking for the low risk high reward and versus a super high conviction in your analysis of an investment that you want to take a long term position in and that's where you'll hear you know you'll hear Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger as much as they don't understand bitcoin you'll hear them talk about these taking these opportunities where there's there's a misprice opportunity in the market because they have such high conviction in it they have no problem with buying it all the way down and just mm. sitting on it yeah for years they know what they own and so and yeah that's the one that honestly i keep coming back to yeah over and over again yeah i love that he's cough, but and that's what has that's what's driven me in bitcoin and so i don't care that it's down at twenty thousand yeah. dollars i know that there are extra exterior there are extraneous forces on it you know that there's a lot of noise around this as an emerging asset class and an emerging money, yeah. hard money. And it's and so for me, having the conviction and understanding it and understanding why it's different from the fiat currency we have now, how it's decentralized, how it's scarce, how it's trustless, you know, these are things that not having counterparty risk. In something that I own is incredible. I mean, insane. You would say it's no different than having gold in a vault in your house, yeah. except if I want to, if I'm in the Ukraine or if I'm in Venezuela, and I need to flee my country because it's dissolving. It's imaginary vault dissolving. It's in the you saw the woman who was stopped at the border trying to get across the border with suitcases full of money. Well, she just had twelve words in her head. She could have gotten across the border with all her money. Yeah, you know, and so that's just something that, and I just have such high conviction in it that that's the one I just keep it coming back to.
1: Yeah, love it, James. Thank you so much for uh, having this discussion. I just want to tell folks so your newsletter phenomenal it's so easy to uh, sign up for just I'll, I'll have a link in the uh, show notes to the newsletter and also your Twitter awesome. feed but for people just go to James's Twitter feed and there's a button right there under his name and you just click subscribe and you'll start getting his newsletter and I mean he is putting out phenomenal like high value ad uh just like you know what you heard today his comments are just so valuable so I would highly encourage people to check that out. I know I'm a subscriber to it, and just really look forward to anything that you put out. It's free, and it's and, free, it's, and yeah. it's completely free. There's he's not yeah. selling. I mean, anything. I I
2: tried. Yeah, I try to do is I, what I do is every single week. Um, I sit down on a Saturday morning, I put on Premier League soccer, and uh, <laughs> and I start and I just write. I write about one financial concept that. I can simplify for people. And I I, I got tired of, you know, Preston, I got tired of people saying, you know, your, your business is so opaque. Mm-hmm. Wall Street is so opaque. They're trying to hide things from us. And I think that they're just not incentivized to tell people what's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you what's going on. I'm going to give it to you in layman's terms so you can understand it. It's not that difficult. These concepts are not that difficult. Mm-hmm. The terms may sound crazy, yield curve control, credit default swap, you know, I mean... The repo and reverse repo. I mean, it's not that difficult, mm-hmm. and so I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. you. Uh, yeah, you, oh, you, you sharing that. It's a no-brainer, it's, man. It's something that I have a passion for. Yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. We'll have a link to your Twitter. Is there anything else that
2: you wanted to highlight for folks? No, this is oh. awesome. I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I always appreciate having a night, you know, an evening chat with Preston about macro. We need to have some bourbon on. next time yeah. we do this. Yeah, James. definitely. Yeah, that's a deal. <laughs>
1: All right. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Always a blast. And thanks for uh, coming
2: on. Yeah. Thank you, Preston.
1: If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show, or you learned something new, or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again next week.